add my welcome to you all. My name is Greg Durenberger. I'm the senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to the book of Exodus. We're going to be giving our attention today to Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, through the end of chapter 11. So, covering a little bit more ground today. Mike Tyson, who at one time was considered at least one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time, reigned as heavyweight champion of the world from 1987 to 1990. Late in his career, he was referred to as the baddest man on the planet. Mike Tyson is also famous for his brilliant comment, which many people already know, that says, everyone has a plan until he gets punched in the mouth. The same could be said of Pharaoh, the chief executive of the greatest world power of his day. Pharaoh was the baddest man on the planet. He dictated control over all the food, over all the cash, over all the military, and therefore all the power. And by virtue of Pharaoh's plan and under his rule, the people of Israel were powerless and enslaved. But then Pharaoh got punched in the mouth. He got punched in the mouth by God. And God delivered the punch through ten different plagues. As you already know, the Latin term translated plague actually means to strike or to blow. And in Pharaoh's case, the knockout blow was the death of every firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now today, we're, we're going we're to take a swift survey of the first nine blows, plagues with a view to understanding God's plan. Because Pharaoh was not the only one acting with a purpose. God was acting with a purpose, a purpose which now continues to unfold in Exodus chapters 7 through 11. Fear not. I am not going to read all four chapters. I'm only going to read four verses. And then we'll come back to various texts. So, if you're able, then, as an expression of our reverence and regard for God's Word, please stand, follow along. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. I think this is the heart of the matter. Then, the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me, 
in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name in all the earth. That's our our petition, that you would cause your name to be revered, you cause your name to be exalted in, in such a way that your people are compelled to tell it, to proclaim it, to exult in it, to make it known. We are depending on the working of your Holy Spirit to bring the gravity and truth, the real revelation of all that you are to bear upon our hearts and souls and minds. So we welcome you, Lord, to work among us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. According to what we've seen and heard so far in the book of Exodus, God raised up a man named Moses. And God gave Moses gifts to work miracles. And God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh, work these miracles before Pharaoh, and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. It sounds like a good plan. But then, according to Exodus chapter 4, verse 21, God says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God says he will harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will not let the people go. Now, what what does that mean? And through the next several chapters of Exodus, we read that God does harden Pharaoh's heart. And we read that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And the reason that we read that both of these things happen... God hardens Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardens his own heart is because both are true. Pharaoh really does harden his own heart. The Bible consistently teaches that the decisions that we make, they are authentic decisions for which we are fully responsible. And at the same time, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The Bible also teaches that our decisions are ultimately under God's sovereign authority. Now there's mystery here, obviously. And because the Bible says that both of these are true, that there are always some who would want to 
emphasize one over the other or to affirm one and deny the other. And that's because in our minds, it's hard, hard to be certain as to how both of these could be true at the same time. But they are both true at the same time. So here's what's going on. God is really hardening Pharaoh's heart. And the result is that Pharaoh willingly, freely, authentically hardens his own heart and he refuses to let the people of Israel go. Now this raises an important question. I, th- I think a question, the answer to which is central to the meaning of our text today. And the question is, Why? Why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? Look at what God says in Exodus chapter 11, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And here's why. Pharaoh will not listen to you that so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So the the reason God hardens Pharaoh's heart is so that God's wonders might be multiplied. God could have brought just one wonder upon Egypt and softened Pharaoh's heart in such a way that he immediately let Israel go, but God wants to multiply his wonders in the land of Egypt. And so God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that there will be a multiplying of his wonders in the land of Egypt. And why does God want to multiply his wonders in the land of Egypt? Look again at the text I read earlier. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews... Let my people go that they may serve me, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that, here's the reason, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Exodus 9, 16. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? The reason God hardens Pharaoh's heart is so that God can multiply his wonders in Egypt so that Israel and Pharaoh and Egypt... And all the world will see and know that there is none like God. God could have worked just one miracle and freed Israel, but it would not have been as clear that there is none like God. The whole point of the Exodus was to make a worldwide reputation for God. And so instead of one miracle... God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he refuses to let the people go. And then God multiplies wonder 
after wonder, after wonder, after wonder, so that everyone can see that there is none like God in all the earth. Oh, but that's not all. Listen, here's where the, the plagues are personally and practically relevant to us. God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that every parent, every grandparent, every person in this room might have a story to tell. Look at Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you, here's the end, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. See it? God's purpose is not just to deliver Israel. God's purpose is to deliver Israel in such a way That everyone on earth, including generation after generation, would see the display of his glory and know that there is none like him. That includes us. So one of the reasons God punched Pharaoh in the mouth and had Moses write it all down in the book of Exodus was so that this morning, I could draw your attention to this passage so that this morning you and I could see and marvel. And this week you can sit down with your children and your grandchildren or around the table at some coffee shop and talk about and tremble at the reality that there is none like God In all the earth. Now, how does God show us that there is none like him in all the earth? Since this story is essentially familiar, we're just going to fly over. God gets the ball rolling with a so-called small miracle, I guess you'd say, in Exodus chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. Moses and his brother, go, Aaron, go to Pharaoh. Aaron throws down the staff. It becomes a snake. But verse 13 says, Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said he would not listen to them. So, bell rung. Pharaoh says, Game on. And then God brings out the ten plagues. And the first is that he turns all the water in Egypt into blood. Exodus 7:16. Moses says to Pharaoh, 
The Lord God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go, but so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Verse 21, there was Blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Blood everywhere. Blood as deep and wide as the river. Last week, Ryan raised the question, did that, did that really happen? <laughs> I believe that Moses writes in such a way and records this in such a way that he means for us to know from his perspective that it literally happened. And if, if you put it into perspective, you, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We read that the same God creates the universe. Universe B and galaxies out of nothing. Now that's big. That's, that's a big one. So Nile to blood. By comparison, that's just a nit. So we don't need to come up with some rare form of algae or the sunset, you know, at a certain angle to explain it. What, what happened was that God turned the entire Nile River into blood. Some people faint at the sight of blood. That much blood a river of blood. That's horrifying. Not to mention ruinous to the Egyptian mode of transportation, fouled the source of their nourishment, crushed the supply line of their economy. But Pharaoh's heart remains hard, just like God said. Second plague, frogs. Lots and lots and lots of frogs. Exodus 8, 1 through 3. Thus says the Lord, let my people go. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague all your country with frogs. That shall come up into your house. And into your bedroom, and on your bed, and into your ovens, and your kneading bowls. And Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. And so Aaron stretches out his staff, and frogs start coming from everywhere. Now, you know, on the one hand, this is... It's sort of comical, in a twisted kind of a way, I guess. <laughs> you know, frogs in the couch, and frogs in the closet, and frogs in their clothes, and frogs in the coffee pot. I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, this back before, you know, pesticides were so intense. Leopard frogs, 
they were very common. And after a long and heavy rain, they would be all over the road. Thousands of them. Thousands of frogs. And as much as I was into frogs as a kid, thousands of them on the road. It's so gross. But this plague was also intended to pack a theological punch. The, the Egyptians worshipped the goddess Hecht, who was always pictured with the body and the head of a frog. So, put that together. It would have been a physical and spiritual nightmare. But Pharaoh hardens his heart, just as God said he would. So third, God causes gnats to fill the land. Exodus 8, 17. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats on all the land of Egypt. You ever ride your bike through a clou little cloud of gnats? Swallow one, get, it, get one in the eye. Imagine the air, thick, everywhere, with gnats. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, just like God said it would. Fourth, God causes flies, flies to swarm everywhere, except in Goshen, where the Israelites lived. Exodus chapter 8, verse 21, God says, If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And that's exactly what God did. And, and the flies swarmed everywhere. I mean, I think of our summertime picnics, you know, you're waving over the plates of food and how, you know. I, I think of the, in our house especially, there is significant annoyance if there's just one fly. But swarms of flies covering everything, inside and outside. And just when it looks like Pharaoh's about to break on that one, <laughs> he doesn't. And instead he hardens his heart again, just as God said he would. And so fifth, and, and this, now, it's, now we're getting serious God kills all of Egypt's livestock, but spares Israel's livestock. Exodus 9, verse 6. The next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. There is this, there is this incredible stink underneath our deck. And yeah, it, it was powerful. And so after a brief search, 
I found the remains of this dead rabbit. Unbelievable how strong that was. If we have a hard time with the smell of a meat processing plant, just imagine what it would be like to endure the reek of the death, the unfiltered, un, unfiltered reek of the death and the economic loss of every animal in the land. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, just like God said he would. Sixth, God brings boils on all the people and the animals. Now, boils aren't super common these days, but pimples are. <laughs> and a boil is just like a, a huge pimple, huge, on your skin and extremely painful. And this, this is now the first plague where the Egyptians endure personal, physical suffering. Exodus 9, again, they took soot from the kiln, Moses and Aaron, they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And Pharaoh, did, he doesn't even flinch. Because God hardened his heart, just like he said he would. Seventh, God destroys the Egyptians' crops with hail. God says to Pharaoh through Moses, let my people go or I'm going to cause the worst hailstorm you could ever dream of. And it's going to kill what's left of your livestock and your crops. And then God tells the Egyptians that they can protect their livestock and their crops by bringing them under shelter. But, and some did, but according to Exodus chapter 9, verses 24 and following, it says there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy fail, hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. So this is a catastrophic storm. And there is a death toll. But again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, just as God had said. And then eighth, God brings locusts on Egypt and they eat whatever is left from the hill. Exodus chapter 10, verse 14. The Lord brought an east wind. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before 
nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained. Neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. This, this east wind, you see that was referred to two times. It, that's because in Egypt, the wind never comes from the east. The direction of the wind was, in this case, guided supernaturally by the hand of God. But Pharaoh, he's unmoved because, because God hardened his heart, just as God said. And then ninth, God brings total darkness for three days. Exodus chapter 10, verse 22, there was pitch darkness, darkness, dark as pitch, in all the land of Egypt, three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Days of absolute darkness. That would frighten and dishearten anyone. But, but this held a special terror for the Egyptians because they worshipped the sun. And part of the miracle was that the Israelites were not in the dark. God discriminated between his people and the Egyptians. But God hardened Pharaoh's heart just like he said he would. Now, loved ones, one cannot, one must not read of these crushing blows of God, one after another after another, and meditate on them, Ponder them, contemplate them, and not be affected by the, the, the utter terror that they would have brought upon human flesh, human psyche, human soul. We dare not reduce these to fables. Each and every one of these nine plagues would have brought about Weeping and complaining and grieving and torment and soul-crushing heartache. The loss. But you see, God was doing something more than hardening Pharaoh's heart. God was doing something more than delivering Israel from Egypt. God was magnifying his just and holy wrath so that there might be the greatest possible backdrop by which we might behold his incomparable mercy. 
God was multiplying his wonders over and over so that all the peoples might know that there is none like God in all the earth. Loved ones, listen. These plagues that happened to the Egyptians are not the worst plague imaginable. Oh no. One is about to come that will crush every unrepentant heart. Actually, actually these plagues serve as a merciful warning of infinitely worse plagues that have yet to come. The plagues of Exodus are simply a preview of the judgment that is still before us. And that judgment is described in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 16, where the Apostle John writes, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people. Verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. There's symbolic references of of water turning to blood, sores, darkness, frogs, and they are strikingly similar, are they not, to the plagues described in Exodus? And what is plain in the book of Revelation is that there is only one safe place. The only safety there is from these seven angels that pour out these seven bowls of wrath is to humble oneself and trust in what God has graciously done in sacrificing his son for sinners like you and like me. It's the only way to escape the righteous wrath of God because of our sin. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on the plagues of Exodus 7 through 11, he writes, Forget Pharaoh. Forget Pharaoh and only think of yourself. Let the Lord Jesus Christ himself with the thorn-crowned head and the pierced hand stand beside your pew, your chair, your bedside. And looking right down into your soul, say in his matchless heart of love, How long? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? My non Christian friends, cease your Pharaoh like pride. Ignoring and dismissing the mercy of God. Continuing in your own delusion of independence and self-importance. And instead, 
even in this moment, I plead with you, humbly flee to the Son of God who suffered blows, stripes of God's wrath for sinners like you and like me. In our place, condemned he stood, receiving on the cross the judgment we deserved for our sins so that this day, today, we might know and experience the forgiveness of sins which, which we clearly do not deserve. Listen, the, the, the Lord would much prefer to turn water into the wine of salvation for you than turn water into the blood of judgment upon you. And for my dearly loved brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the, the Lord said to Moses that he performed these miraculous signs so that according to Exodus chapter 10 verse 2, you may tell in the hearing of your son and daughter and of your grandson and granddaughter how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. You see, the, the Exodus was their story of salvation. The Exodus revealed the personal name of God. It revealed the purpose of God. It revealed the deliverance of the people of God from their oppression and their slavery and their bondage so that they might turn and trust and follow the true and living God. So they got a story to tell. They must tell that story and recount their deliverance to their children. They must tell the story to their grandchildren. They must transfer the story with all of its implications to the next generation. When their kids would come to them with hard questions about God and hard questions about hardening hearts and hard questions about obedience to God's commands, these people were to seize those times as an opportunity to tell their story again. God meant for those Israelites to retell their story often so that their children would know that there's none like God in all the earth. But loved ones, <laughs> the great news for us is that We've got such, such a greater story to tell to our children. Because of the coming of Christ, you and I have experienced an exodus even more miraculous than the Israelites. And led by a prophet even greater than Moses, our Lord Jesus, the Christ. And the gospel, the story of our rescue, the story of our salvation, all because of the coming of Christ and his living a perfect life and his dying a sin-atoning death and 
rising again from the dead and ascending to the right hand of the Father. This is our story to tell. It's a story we have to tell of our deliverance from oppression and slavery and bondage to sin. It is the story of our exodus and it's all because of our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So, let us never tire of telling our story. Parents, tell the story. Tell it over and over and over again. Tell it with tears of gratitude in your eyes. Tell your children that there is none like our God in all the earth. Tell them, run to Christ. Flee those plagues of his wrath. Tell them that by turning and humbling themselves and entrusting them to Jesus, they need not fear the punishing blows of God's wrath. Those blows were sustained once for all on the cross by God's only Son. And that story of, of that grace changes everything. There is no sweeter sound. There is no sweeter story. And there is no other like our God and Savior in all the earth. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be revered like no other name. May your name be regarded and trusted like no other name. Thank you today that we have in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ a shield from your wrath. Thank you for this mercy. We are no better than the Egyptians. We need a Savior. And thank you, O oh God, that you have put forth your Son and crushed him in our place. That we might be made righteous. That we might be set free from slavery to sinning. That we might be made new. That we might have the hope of eternal life. Now please magnify this, this glorious person and work. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.